the truth that nobody wants to listen to when these founders exit and they're finally allowed to talk is none of them make a billion dollars, like a handful of them make a billion dollars. By the time most of these companies take the VC and sell it, they haven't paid themselves well all the way up to it, right? Then they take this VC, they dilute everything that they own and they sell it and everybody gets paid first and they get paid last. And at the end, they're all starting new businesses, not just because they've got a bug, but because they didn't really make that much. Mm. It's an important thing to realize is if you're chasing the billion because you think you're gonna make a billion, that's a really risky endeavor. You can grow a really successful business where your team makes a bunch of money and you as a founder make a bunch of money by just being profitable. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today is a very special interview I did with uh, Natalie Nagel, the CEO and co-founder of Wildbit. Uh, Wildbit has been doing remote work since 2001. Um, And right after this interview I did with her, I had her on for a panel that I did at Amazon AWS in New York about burnout and stress. Uh, And I do have a copy of that if you are interested in that. I haven't published it, but it is on YouTube. Uh, You can look for AWS uh, Startups Stress and Burnout uh, with Stuart Alsop, Crazy Wisdom, or Natalie Nagel. Any of those search terms will bring it up. Uh, And I really enjoyed this interview. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I really respect Natalie. She has a really clear way of doing business. It's very clear in her personality and clear in what she says. And uh, she offers a great amount of value if you are looking to build a startup that is remote. Also, something else has been coming up in recent podcasts, and what I'm realizing is that I have a bias. My bias is that I believe that there are experts, and I believe that what those experts is important to listen to in their specialty, Uh, but I also believe that no one is an expert in life. Uh, All of us are trying to figure it out. Uh, We don't know what our individual situations are leading us to. We don't know where we're going. Uh, Many of us have different ideas about where we're going on. And so I am asking these questions of people on my show, which are big questions, difficult questions, ethical questions. And when I ask these questions, I'm not expecting the person to answer them as an expert. Uh, I'm expecting them to give their, what their experiences have led them to believe. Um, And I don't necessarily take what they say as truth. And I don't think you should either. Uh, And I don't think my guests should either. Uh, So I'm going to start making this much more clear in each of these episodes is that um, I am not an expert. Some of my guests might be experts, but I'm asking them questions about things that they are not experts on. Uh, And you as the listener should also adopt what many practitioners call beginner's mind. I aim to do each of one of these episodes in a place of beginner's mind. I don't always succeed in that. I am now going to start asking my guests to do the same thing. Uh, and I also ask you to do the same thing. So so just recognizing that we don't know the truth. We may think we know the truth. We are in constant investigation and inquiry into what the truth is. Uh, that is the goal of my show is to essentially investigate into what what the truth is. What are we dealing with? What is, what is happening right now? All these people make predictions of the future and make uh, historical claims of what happened in the past. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on right now. Uh, so I, I, I invite you to join me in doing that. Um, I really hope that you found value in this show. I'm really enjoying creating it. Um, and I'm trying to learn my biases. If you see that I have a bias and I'm not aware of that bias, please let me know. Yeah. And I do, I do want to invite any startup founders who are looking to build a distributed team, 
uh, to come join an online course I'm doing with Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth. Uh, if you want more information on that course, uh, you can subscribe to my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. Um, I'll be including more information on how you can apply. Anders is the CEO of Facet Wealth, and he raised uh, $40 million in a Series A, and we're going to be trying to give insights into what you as a startup founder can do in order to raise money for your distributed team. He's right at the hyper growth scale, so he's raised a lot of money, and now he's putting fuel on the fire to essentially grow his company. So he also has information on what it's like to raise a seed and a Series A. So you're in that zone um, or you're considering going into that zone, I highly recommend checking it out. You can find more information by subscribing to my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please let me know what you think. Have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Natalie Nagel, the co-founder and CEO of Wildbit. And I'm really excited to have you on the show. You guys have been doing remote work for a long time and since 2002, right? Since 2000, yeah. We've been yeah. doing remote work since the business started. It was started 100% remote. Mm, that's so interesting. And what uh, what is Wildbit? What do you guys do? Yeah, so we're uh, an 18-year-old software company. Uh, we're based out of Philadelphia. I run it with my husband, Chris. And our team builds various products for other software development teams that kind of makes their life hopefully better. Uh, but we're uh, super focused on building a business that's meaningful and that really supports the humans around the business and not just feeding the beast and growing the business for the sake of growing. So, you know, I kind of laugh that like what our, our main product is the business and then we create products that enable us to kind of create this thing that we're really proud of. And did that start out that way or did you guys come to that conclusion after working for it? Yeah, I don't think it started that way for sure. Uh, you know, 18 years ago, it was when we were younger. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it's also like, you know, the business started off, we did client work. Um, and that's a lot of just figuring out where your next paycheck is going to come from, right? Like, what can we get another deal? And so there was just a lot of just like getting work done and doing meaningful work for our customers. Mm -hmm. And then it's really just evolved as we got into, you know, now we're completely a products company. We've been a products only company for 12 years. and uh, you know, building for ourselves, you get a lot of space to start thinking about why you do the things that you do and what's the point and why are we running a business to begin with? And it's in that, a lot of that questioning over the last, I would say, five, six years that we started to really understand. Some of it was probably in our behavior, but it wasn't like codified and really turned into values and principles and, mm -hmm. and practices until probably like, you know, starting about six years ago, and it's still an evolution, you know, we're still kind of looking at it and constantly reviewing and saying, what more can we do? And are we creating a business that's meaningful to the people in the business to what I, you know, I think of it as like the stakeholders, not the shareholders, our team, our, our customers and our community, you know, what are we doing to better that? And how is the business enabling that? Mm, that's so interesting. I really like how you have done business and then drew the values and principles out of the business that you were already doing. Um, a lot of people think about like, oh, I'm going to start a business, so I got to set my values, but it's really hard to do that unless you're actually in the thick of it. Would you agree? Yeah, for us, that's how it worked. I think, you know, I think it's important to know why you're doing the things that you're doing. And I, you know, if you um, I kind of, you know, it's funny, I, I fluctuate with this concept of like a business person and an entrepreneur, and mm -hmm. maybe it's just where we are in the business now. We're kind of trying to grow operationally to be more sustainable and and just more organized and more professional. And that's like the business part that Chris and I weren't really good at. I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes you just like jump into solving a problem or to uh, a challenge and, and you just get excited. And then the values obviously grow out of that. If you're 
starting a business and you're more business minded, I think it's really important to understand values and principles because sometimes they won't come out in the work that you do. But for us, it really came down to uh, a value set that we, Chris and I don't like pass down onto the team. It's really something that's been created and it's a meaningful exercise that we do together as a team on retreat quite frequently to like talk about what are the things that we stand by, what are the things we believe in, and what are the things that we want. You know, some of it becomes aspirational too, but I don't know that we could have done it ahead of time. And I also think values evolve. Like I'm a big believer that they change and they need to be readdressed and re re, re- reevaluated. <laughs> you know, they need to be like a, a living, breathing document because the company changes and the people inside the company change. You know, 18 years ago, Chris and I were not even married. We didn't have kids. The team that we worked with was really young back then. And, you know, we just, the world was different. The markets were different. Everything was different. Right. And now today it's like, I have such an appreciation for, for, uh, a wide range of life experiences because I've had them myself, but also met so many people along the way and you learn and you grow. And I think those values kind of continue mm. and, you know, and I'm not talking about like values, like honesty trend, you know, like, like, you know, not being a jerk. You know, I, I, like those things are obviously innate in the team and Chris and I, and have been passed down for those 18 years. But as we evolve, like what we stand for and what we believe in and why we, why the business exists definitely happens as the business matures. Mm. And so let's talk about this remote work angle because you started off, it must have been so difficult or was it difficult in, in, 2000, in 2000? Was it, how difficult was it to, to start off? What were the problems different. that you guys experienced? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because we basically, the, the business started, my husband Chris started it, he was 19, well, 20 years old and oh. um, he met he needed some he tried to be a software developer realized that wasn't a good idea he wasn't great at it and so really loved user experience and design and needed a better developer Mm. and he met a a guy in romania on a user group which i don't i don't know if any of your listeners know that's like pre-blog pre like you know it's just and met together and decided to work together and there really wasn't a lot of risk but it was definitely super challenging i mean to pay him when they had a project was like a western union (laughs) you know there was no like wire yeah and you know he'd go to the western union and like literally you know pay cash and 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 send the money and there were no obviously no slacks and things like that but you know it was irc and video chat was not not a thing and so you know there's just like it it was different but it also was less there was less risk and also and and less need to over communicate and uh, you know, the team is small, the projects are different. So, you know, I think it's in hindsight, yeah, it's like, I don't know how we ran a business that way. But at the same time, I don't think the stakes were as high, you uh, know. And now looking at all the hype around remote work, what, in your opinion, is bullshit? I, you know what, I, I struggle with absolutes in general. And, you know, I think we, we actually, we ended up with like a hybrid approach. We have office in Philadelphia where a couple, about eight of us kind of come into the office a couple of days a week. And then the rest of us are all remote and we're 30 people. And we run the company remote first, which for us means, you know, everything gets communicated asynchronously online. No decisions are made in person. You know, we just calls you know, on our own desk. So everybody feels connected. And, uh, you know, in doing both ways, we've had a fully remote, we've had an office, we've, we've done hybrid. I actually think there's a tremendous amount of value in 
face-to-face interactions Mm -hmm. and in the ability to solve challenging problems when you're sitting together. And and those things are, I think, being to some degree silenced Mm -hmm. because we're really pushing this remote thing. And I think remote is spectacular. I mean, like 100% bought in on the opportunity to hire people from all over the world and create those opportunities and also just learn and, and, and expand your culture and your, your company's uh, values and behaviors because you have different people, but, and also just from a lifestyle, right? You, you don't need a three hour commute to get a great job, right? You can be home with your kids. You can pick your kids up at the bus stop. You can go for a two hour bike ride because you're at home. You know, all the things that, that matter to people to like create a whole person. But I do think there's, a lot of value. And, and I almost, I, when I talk to other companies, younger companies, I always say like, I think you should have a budget line item for bringing people together. Mm-hmm. Like even we do these annual retreats where the whole team comes together and we've been doing, I think we just did our 14th one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are cr- critically important to build camaraderie, to build relationships. But even on a smaller scale, when we, when we come across a, a big problem to solve or a big strategic decision, a quarterly planning, we kind of bring as people, whoever's needed for that conversation, we bring them in because mm-hmm. I don't know how you do a two-day, three-day strat- strategic session over Zoom. <laughs> you know, like I just don't, I haven't figured out a way to do that. And I think there's something meaningful in taking those long walks together. There's something mean. And I don't know that we found, at least on my team, I have not found a way to replicate those walks. Mm. You know, those, that opportunity to really connect. So I, to me, it's a, it's, it's a really incredible opportunity to work with a lot of people and to, you know, create lifestyles for folks that are more meaningful and present. But I also really do think that we need to continue to remember that we're humans working on difficult problems. And we need that face-to-face time to just connect, to feel part of a community. And also there are times when difficult things need to be discussed and and you're just not going to do it as well asynchronously or, you know, via via video chat. So you might've already answered this, but what how do you know whether a conversation needs to be face-to-face or whether it can be done online? I think, and I haven't like made this a rule of, th- like a rule of thumb yet, but I think to me, if it's going to take more than an hour and a half to get to a good place, it's probably a good idea to, to, to come in. Mm. And, and, again, and maybe, and I don't want to like, that's not like dogma, right? But mm-hmm. we do these quarterly plans and, and the leads kind of get together and, Q1, we all got together and it was really powerful and meaningful. We made, did a lot of work. And then Q2, we kind of said, eh, we're, I think we're pretty good. Let's just do it asynchronously. And I just don't think we got through what we wanted to get through. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't, you know, we didn't sit on a four hour Zoom call together. We kind of like work on your own, bring it back to the team, work on your own, bring, you know. And I just don't know that we got the best work in that we could have. So like Q3, everybody's coming together again. So, you know, I, that's the kind of thing, you know, there's a strategic component to it. Right. But there's also just like, we kind of got to like get through a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like look at who's working on what and what are the problems we're solving? How are we measuring success and all these things? And you're kind of like, just want to sit around a conference room together, you know, and just, or sit in a coffee shop or take a walk. And, and I, that's really hard on a remote team. So we've got all these problems with remote work, lots of them being solved what is the biggest problem that hasn't been solved yet for remote work? I think we created a problem uh, with the, the beauty of remote work was always you could work for us was 
this incredible ability to enable focus work, which I'm obsessed with. Like the whole company is obsessed with focus work, right? Get people the space and time they need to do their meaningful work that brings them joy and, you know, and satisfaction and also is good for the business so that they can get work done in a small amount of time, right? And just go home, right? And that's win-win for everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, the office, the physical space creates a lot of distractions, right? Like I used to talk to people all the time. I don't get my best work done till you know, the evening or, or when I'm home and I'll poke and I'll be like, well, why? Tell me, walk me through your day. It's like, well, I come in, I meet somebody, you know, I get my coffee, sit down, I have a meeting, then somebody pops in and I meander here. Then we go to lunch and blah, blah, blah. And it's not till everybody's gone that I get really meaningful work done. So what remote work was supposed to do was say like, well, you don't have all of that, right? You have this ability to in your space, sit down, get into flow, be creative, write, code, design, whatever it is you need to do uh, in, in two hour chunks and however long you want, but you know, without distractions. So we did this with remote work and then we added to that Slack mm. or insert favorite chat channel, whatever you want. Yeah. And we blew the whole thing up. There is more anxiety and stress and distraction with all these teams using Slack and I say Slack, I mean, they're not the first person, the, the first yeah. company email. to chat, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's tremendously worse than email, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's this constant distraction. And if you study the mind and if you think about, you know, the importance of focus and clarity and peace in your mind and what that does to creativity and your subconscious and all these things, like we've destroyed it. Mm. And well, so, yeah, and go that, ahead. And that seems like, and, and it's, it's destroyed partly through the technology itself because, Slack and notifications. It's been a while since I've used Slack, so so it's like the notifications. I'm sure have a lot to do with it, but a lot of companies use email in the same way because there's an unspoken rule that you have to you have to reply to this email, and I'm sure that goes over into remote work. Although maybe with remote work companies that happens less often, uh, but it's it feels like it's also a matter of values too. And um, have you guys as as these tools have started to come in that have that are being built have you had to then define things in a different way based on the new technology coming in? Yeah. And I, actually I'm glad you said that because I didn't, I didn't want it to, it's not a tools problem, right? I, don't, I never believe in tools problems to me. They're all behavior mm-hmm. problems and they're, you know, we use Slack, right? We just, our Slack is super quiet, but you know, <laughs> they're, 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 it's a behavior problem. It's like, and it's an expectation problem. And you're right. Email, I guess to some degree it could be as, as noisy to me. The challenge with Slack is, in when behaviorally it's expected that it turns into a new inbox mm. of very unorganized at that point conversations and decision making and this anxiety of did I miss something? Mm. And I think that's really different from email to some degree because, okay, fine, you can check your email, there's nothing in there, you can kind of go away. But when you talk about remote teams that are frequently spread out across different time zones, you create this constant anxiety of like, what if a decision was made? What if I missed something? What if my friend said hello? You know, and, and we put it on our phones and we keep it open in a separate screen and we're constantly using it as a means of distraction and a means of procrastination. And so, yeah, it's a behavior thing. We have, and it sounds silly, but we have a communications guide Mm. of like what the tools we use and how we use them. And Slack, for example, is not a place for permanent data store at all. Mm. Like cannot be. And I, I, I tell the team, I delete history all the time. Mm. Like I just delete it for the whole company. Mm. That's it. You know? And so don't expect anything to be permanent in there. And we say, you know, like there's no, Hey, read it. Right. We don't use the general channel as like a water cooler because 
we're in different time zones and you don't need to wake up and say, good morning, I'm here. And then hold on, be right back. I'm going to go eat lunch. And then, okay, I'm back. I think we don't need that, right? We trust each other to do great work. We're not babysitting. And then we do a ton around enabling each other to focus. So, you know, like what those DMs and Slack or even just messages and Slack in general are kind of like getting tapped on the shoulder, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't, create behaviors around it. Like we have a really strong rule, like do not disturb. I, I just tell like shut it down. Some people really get really uncomfortable with that, but I'm like, just turn it off. If you're working, heads down, turn Slack off. If you're doing, you know, more shallow work, you know, as Cal Newport calls it, like shallow work, then sure, keep your Slack on. You're checking email, you're updating tickets, you're, mm-hmm. you know, doing whatever. Yeah, ping me. Let's talk. But if I'm deep in work, it is unacceptable to actually tap somebody on the shoulder. And so it's unacceptable to ping them in Slack. And actually somebody on our team built a little Slack bot called Pigeon Bot so that when you go and your instinct is to get into Slack and be like, hey, you know, still working, what are you working on? Or, or I need this thing. It actually, you, it'll send that person an email instead. So that email becomes this thing. If you treat email properly, email becomes your inbox of shallow work that you can process on your time and nobody's taking that time away from you. Mm-hmm. So like on our team, we spend a lot of time on focus work and we try to look at it and say, well, you know, reply to email within 24 to 48 hours, but look at it twice a day, mm-hmm. you know, and look at it when you're coming up. What I say, like I said, coming up for air, you know, we go deep down in our work and we come up for air. When you come up for air, you open your inbox, you process. So if let's say I'm looking for a file from like some, one of my designers, it's not urgent. Like I could just send him an email like, hey, Eugene, can I get this file? You know, this design file. He, he'll come up for air at three o'clock in the afternoon when he's ready to, you know, when he's taking a break and I'll be like, oh, here it is. And he shoots me an email. I don't get it right away. I get it the next time I take a break. And in that way, we're kind of like respecting each other's time and each other's uh, right to set schedules and to plan their our days because everybody's different and people want to work in different times and different you know, spurts and all those mm-hmm. things. And so you know, we, we use email in that way like for one-to-one stuff because we want to keep things uh, asynchronous and uh, all centered around kind of this focus work. Mm. And yeah, we just keep right. I mean, we write guides about it. We're actually, it's funny. We're shut. We did an experiment a year ago where we turned Slack off for a week and that was really meaningful. And then we're going to turn Slack off for the entire month of July. <laughs> That's so great. And, and just to see what breaks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. That's so like cool. to see what falls apart. Cause like, we don't know what, what are we using it for? Like, what's it a crutch for? Uh-huh. And there's a lot of concern like, Oh my God, what about like getting, like keeping in touch? And I keep joking with the team. I'm like, can you show me one place in Slack we keep in touch? Like we do a lot of things intentionally. I call it like the intentional water cooler because I think on a remote team, you have to work really hard to make connections. And if you're just counting on Slack and like the, you know, GIF channel or the, you know, coffee channel and all these things, like you're not actually building teams. You're just creating more noise. So we do like a lot of work to build like intentional opportunities for people to connect and and spend quality time together and and connect on different various topics and subjects and things like that so how big of a problem is lonely loneliness either for you i mean uh, for your company or for companies in general in remote work have you guys figured out how to do how to solve that problem of loneliness I don't think we've solved it and i have i believe that it's massive problem Mm -hmm. Uh, and i would I would venture, and I think some people have done studies on this, but I would venture, I guess, it's a huge, even for introverts, like it's a huge, people say like, oh, it's perfect for introverts, but I don't, I don't agree with that. Mm. I think it's a huge problem. Uh, it's a mental health problem. Like it has to be constantly addressed. And the only, we kind of, 
I guess like the first step is to like accepting and talking about it. So we have a very open like mental health kind of conversation all the time and we share and we have a group uh, in like a project in our, on our team where we, the remote team shares about stuff like that, how they're feeling. Uh, we very, we don't encourage or we don't really allow teams to work full time from a coffee shop. So we're not like a nomad, a good place for nomads who want to just work out of a coffee shop. It's just, again, it goes against like the whole focus work and all of that stuff. But we do encourage the opportunity for people to go and just work in a coffee shop for a couple hours. Hey, mm-hmm. have you seen your friends? And I mean, we laugh like when Chris and I used to work, we were the only ones in Philly. There would be times when we even talked to somebody like Chris always jokes like he, he would, somebody would call like 3 PM and he'd answer the phone and they'd be like, are you sleeping? He's like, no, I just haven't like talked yet. You know, <laughs> or like go to a coffee shop and you haven't left the house in two days. And you're like, I don't know how to communicate with humans. Like I don't, I can't order this coffee. Yeah. But, I think that's real. And I think we as employers and as teams have to really make, make an effort, you know, and the the only way that I can figure out how to do it for now is I have Julie on my team. Who's kind of like people ops, like director of happiness Mm -hmm. and her role very much is around connecting and taking care of the team Mm -hmm. and, you know, physically, emotionally, like, you know, and, and, she spends a lot of time thinking about and and trying to come up with ways that we can connect and that people are that we talk to people and then my leads you know when they're doing one on ones and things like that like we talk about stuff you know I'm a big how you feeling you know mm-hmm. and I I know they say don't do that in one on ones but like I want to know how you're feeling like that's mm-hmm. actually much more important to me than like are you on track with your work mm-hmm. and so it's like how you feeling and sometimes you're like you know I'm struggling sleeping it's like well what can we do right mm-hmm. I don't need and I don't need everybody to share their personal things with me but if if it's related if work is impacting that then I want to be able to help in some way you know take some mm-hmm. time off or change your schedule or whatever that is mm-hmm. but I you know I think like we all feed off of energies from each other. Just all of us do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And you know, that human interaction is important. And, you know, for those of us who have families to turn to, maybe it's not so hard, but there's folks who don't have, you know, who live alone or, 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 or both partners, you know, work and they don't see, you know, whatever that is, like we feed off that energy. We're human and we need that interaction. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important to just be mindful of that. Really interesting. So there's a quote on your website. I think I found it on your website. It says, what your mission is, is working to prove that you can grow an extremely profitable business while focusing on shorter workdays and enjoyable work from anywhere environment and staying small. Um, so I love that quote. And I really wanted to talk about this. And we've kind of already been talking about it. But um, what would you say to people who say that the only way to win big um, is to work harder than you've ever worked before while also working smart, like not only work smart, but also work hard. Well, it's like topic du jour, right? Um, (laughs) uh, you know, I, I, I so struggle with that because I think, you know, I would, it would be unfair for me to say that there were not times when Chris and I worked really hard. Like I always, I always tell people when they ask this, like Chris missed one of my closest friends wedding because we had a fire for a client and we had Mm -hmm. to put it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that is real. Uh, and those situations happen. It is my strong belief that I am in control as founder and, and boss of my schedule, but I, it is completely not okay to enforce that insanity on a team. Mm. And then, you know, so, so that's like 
priority number one, right? Like, I don't, I don't care what you say. There's no project in the world that's worth, and we know that the value is not there anyway, because people aren't that great after 10 hour days. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's cheap being cheap, right? You're basically saying I need one person to do two people worth of work. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to pay one person and ask them to work too hard versus like, well, I could have two people and they could do it in a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. But I also think like, it's not fair to some degree to, to deny people a passion that they have, you know? And so there's, there's this like balance. Cause I talk to my team sometimes and they're like, I get inspired. Like I want to run. I want to run for three weeks and I just want to keep running. But if I run for three weeks, I need to know that week four, I can take a break. And so we're trying to find meaningful ways to, um, to support that, I guess. Cause I don't, you know, at first, like I used to be really crazy about like, we don't work weekends and I never want to see you working on a weekend. And then the team come to me and be like, Natalie, I was like sitting stuck on this problem for like three days and it dawned on me on Saturday. I didn't hurt my family. I didn't hurt myself. And I really wanted to solve it on Saturday. Mm. Like that should be okay. And I'm like, of course, you know, I'm not like, I shouldn't be babysitting to that degree. But I think what my job is, is to make sure that the workload isn't overwhelming, that they have to work longer than, we only work 32 hours a week as a company. So like no longer than 32 hours. Mm. I want to make sure that the pressure on the team isn't so high that there is the need to work that long. And I also, I'm learning more as I hire people who come from bigger companies or corporate companies or even startups. I didn't think this was a thing and and now I I, I pay attention to it and I I don't think we have it here, but there's no competition between people because I know that I'm learning at least that there's a lot of that like work really hard and smart, you know, whatever that means is because I want to show that I'm better than, you know, I want to show that I'm like a harder worker than, you know, my, my, you know, person sitting next to me. And so we really make sure like we don't evaluate people against each other and we don't, you know, do performance reviews based on like some standard level and and things like that. We try to make sure that there's like that peacefulness and that freedom to be creative and and have space. But also when you're motivated and excited, I want to support that as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think (laughs) I'm totally committed to uh, a business that doesn't need to run a hundred miles an hour. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is, an intentional decision to not raise money and we've not, not raised a penny. Uh, the business is owned hundred percent by me, by, by Chris and I, wow. um, we've, you know, and that's number one, right. And probably one of the biggest ones, right. Because like, nobody's going to let me do the crazy things that we get to do <laughs> <laughs> if I've got to pay them back. Right. Uh, so number one is like, I, and, and so by not being beholden to anybody, how much money we make is really dependent on us. Mm. Like completely. And so, we're profit driven, which means we keep to do that. We kind of have to grow revenue at a decent clip, but not at some insane clip because we'd have to hire more people than we can, you know, that's profitable and do all these crazy things. Um, and we can be really intentional with how we spend those profits. So, you know, there was a couple years there where the team was just really excited to, to push one of our products forward and we let the profits kind of dwindle and hired some great folks to help us out. And now we're looking at the business and saying, we really want to make profits meaningful and kind of grow. We have this like new vision of like Wild but 3.0 and what that means. And a lot of it has to do with spending profits meaningfully and like a double bottom line, which is like a B Corp thing where you mm. spend profits and you kind of evaluate how you're doing more than just growing the product. Uh, and so that's like, we need more profits, you know, so we got to get, so that's like a whole different, how fast can we grow without growing expenses at the same rate so that our profits actually expand. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's where that quote that you read, like, that's what it, I, I hope it, it, it portrays is this super intentional desire to do it 
for purpose. Like, and I'm not saying that because like it's cool to say mission, you know, businesses or whatever. Like, it's genuinely in our in our strategic planning and our three year and ten year plan is this kind of how fast can we grow and what does that mean? And we can't grow this fast because we need this many more people. And so we got to, you know, and so it's really keeping a lid on things and, and, and doing it in a meaningful way. And, and that's, I think that's really special, you know, and that's what I want to do. And, and that's where, whether somebody wants to run for three weeks and then, you know, take a break or not, is like more the, the minutia, like the detail. Yeah. I think the overall feeling has to be that I have the freedom to do that. I have the support to take a break if I do. You know, and that's kind of where I'm trying to find balance. That's so interesting. Was there ever at a point where you guys were close to needing to raise money uh, or ever did it ever come into your mind like, oh, it would be so much easier to raise money so we can grow or whatever? Did that ever come into your guys' mind? You know, uh, no. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, not not in that way. Not Never because I thought it would be easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've definitely, you know, we have some really interesting products and some that all of our products have always competed against like 500 pound gorillas, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just always been the space we've been in. And, you know, Chris and I have, we get tons of inbound interest. And so every couple of years we'll sit down and do an exercise where you usually write down the numbers change a little bit slightly since Mm -hmm. then, but used to write down like a million bucks and say, okay, how do you spend it in cash? Mm -hmm. And we'd kind of do it separately and then come back and see, you know, what would we spend it on that we think would actually make that valuable, right? That million dollars has to turn into $10 million, right? Or whatever, whatever the, the math is. And every time we've done that exercise, we've come back and said, it's like 200 grand, you know, 250 yeah. grand. Like, I don't know, what am I, I can get a loan, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's never been there. Uh, I, we've talked and we, we talk about it as a team too. We kind of discuss like, would that growth enable us to do the things that we want? And, it just wouldn't, right? Like for us, when we became, you know, we, we the profits really kind of slimmed down when we were kind of growing postmark and really trying to make it something that we we knew we could get it to. Uh, we had a pretty clear plan, and I think we were we got we had a pretty good confidence that it was going to work. And at no point was it like, well, we could raise money because we were doing that for the purpose of profits later, so we could spend them on these more meaningful things. So, you know, I think I just I'm. Um, Chris and I are just not willing to give up the control mm-hmm. at all. And I, I've met some wonderful VCs and some wonderful private equity firms and all these things. And they can't not, I mean, they need yes. to have some control because they need a return on their investment. They're not bad people. They're not evil. They just, that's what they do. They invest so they can have returns for their, you know, their people. And so I just, I don't want to have to answer to somebody when I'm like, hey, we're working 32 hours a week. And they're like, why aren't you growing 200% this year? You know, it's like, well, I don't want to, right? So I, I won't be able to do that. And that's just not, that's not worth it for us. And yeah, so and I just think we're fine. And there's no investor, because every investor needs a 10 to 100x in order to invest their money in a company. And that just sets up conflict. And for some people, that conflict is important for them because they want to be a $10 billion company within a couple of years. Um, but, but I, I agree with what you're saying. And I would, if, if, if I ever build a company that that will be the guideline under which I buy it or build it and, and it won't be dependent on this. Cause I, I don't need, you know, I don't need a billion dollars. Um, like, but you know, what's, here's, here's the, the, the truth that nobody 
wants to listen to when these founders exit and they're finally allowed to talk is none of them make a billion dollars. Like a handful of them make a billion dollars. By the time most of these companies take the VC and sell it, they haven't paid themselves well all the way up to it, right? Then they take this VC, they dilute everything that they own and they sell it and everybody gets paid first and they get paid last. And at the end, they're all starting new businesses not just because they've got a bug, but because they didn't really make that much. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to talk about, like, I think there's, that's an important thing to realize is if you're chasing the billion because you think you're going to make a billion, that's a really risky endeavor. You can grow a really successful business where your team makes a bunch of money and you as a founder make a bunch of money by just being profitable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and that's the way businesses have been built for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there's so much <laughs> and, opportunity now because of technology that you can do that. You can do exactly that. You can, and, and totally. in a way you couldn't do it a hundred years ago. You would need a smaller, uh, uh, you, you could only build a smaller company because you were limited by the, the realities of physical interaction. But now we are not, we're not limited in that same way. Totally. And you know, now you can make a bunch of money just being a solopreneur, right? And, 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 you know, build your own thing. And, you know, Paul Jarvis wrote the, the, the you know, a, a great book and, um, you know, you have all these like great info product businesses, those, these people that are selling their brand and their knowledge and their wisdom, and they're making two fifty, dollars $300,000 a year, $500,000 a year. And it's just them. Mm-hmm. Right. And the expenses is hosting an email, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's just, they're going <laughs> to, I'd argue that they're going to make more money than some of these companies you see that like, oh, success, I raised $20 million and you got paid nothing. Like, yeah. you know, it's not, these aren't, you're right that for some people, they really want to grow that billion dollar business. And some people want to have an impact that's massive, right? Mm-hmm. I totally see value in an impact that you just need to scale. And and there's products out there that really have meaningful impact and could use the 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 capital to do that. Uh, it's just not, we're, that's not us. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I kind of, uh, I got the impression from our, our talk before, before we started that you could go into some meditation and that kind of spiritual realm type of stuff. Uh, how long you've been meditating? So on and off, probably for close to two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that I, to me, you know, and I don't know if this counts and I don't really, I'm not like a, 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 a scholar of meditation, but I, m- I really, I get a lot of uh, clarity of mind from movement. And mm-hmm. so I actually, I find that I've continued to work out for the last two years consistently. And that's been like massive for my brain. So like I, I definitely have learned a lot about my ability to have clarity of mind and, mm-hmm. and movement always has a big impact on that. So like, you know, I, I was in a, kind of a weird place. I have two kids run the business. My husband, he and I are really close, uh, very well connected. And, uh, I just take on a lot and it's just Mm -hmm. what I do. And I, we always laugh, like if I'm not moving, I don't know what I'm doing. So like we always have a thousand projects. I'm on the board here, helping the school here, you know, doing whatever, just cause I enjoy it. And I enjoy being busy. But with that obviously comes like this mass cloudiness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think once I acknowledged the cloudiness and the impact it had on me, then it was just a lot of experimenting. And so I do a lot of uh, just really quick bursts of like removing myself from space. Mm. And so I, I think I found that, you know, even in the busiest times, like with my kids and I'm like so mad at my nine-year-old and she's driving me crazy. It's like, I just, I've learned that I have to just take that withdrawal out of space. Mm. And, you know, whether I just, that means literally like physically withdrawing out of space or just kind of like, closing my eyes and just really 
really tuning her out for a few minutes or tuning whatever out mm-hmm. for a few minutes and just coming back to it. Mm-hmm. And it varies depending on where I am in my life. Like, you know, with little kids, meditation does not happen in the morning for me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it, uh, um, it's, it's, it's shifted, but I think the recognition that my mind is a little bit um, foggy and knowing when that is has been really transformative for me. You and then I'm did. taking this five week sabbatical. Mm-hmm. You know, although somebody yelled at me and said, I'm not allowed to call it sabbatical because I'm not in academia, but I'm calling it a sabbatical. So. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sticking to it. You just, uh, you just gave a really good description of what yogis call pratyahara. Um, so it means withdrawing the senses uh, within uh, so that you can basically focus more on the, on the internal state of what you're doing. Um, hmm. Thought that was really so. Yeah, if you're interested in in kind of the philosophical background of of, of that practice that you just described, uh, pratyahara is a is a good thing to to focus on. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. And what about in a team? Would you ever bring that type of? Do you guys offer any kind of support for that side of things to your team, um, like meditation or even counseling or anything like that? Does that ever come into it? Yeah. So we do uh, um, a monthly what we call a uh, healthy habits reimbursement, mm-hmm. like a dollar reimbursement uh, that not $1, like a, a dollar <laughs> amount reimbursement uh-huh. that we don't question where it goes to and encourage it to be used for anything from physical health to mental health and kind of runs the gamut. So we, I know with people doing it for yoga and people doing it for paying for meditation apps and people use it for the gym, <laughs> you know, and that's fine too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do that for the whole team. We've brought in some 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 speakers periodically, like mindfulness and stuff like that. That wasn't very well attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that maybe on my team, I think that's really internal, like mm-hmm. what the, the the how the team feels and how they resonate with that. Uh, mm-hmm. But we we try to like you know encourage that, and I think just mental health in general, like we had somebody on our team who was, you know, had a family member who was struggling and it was a very open conversation. And I really appreciated his openness about that because his purpose was like, we need to talk about like our minds and how, how busy they are and and how they, they need help too. And we should treat them like we do our bodies and all these things. Mm. And I think we end up spending a lot of time, you know, that kind of, to me, like meditation, mindfulness, and focus are so closely entwined. And so we, from a company standpoint, we're so obsessed with focus, but the only way to get to focus is to get to a state mentally where you have clarity and space mm-hmm. and it lack of, you know, kind of like that fog and distraction, mm-hmm. you know, the monkey brain, whatever. And so um, I think from a company standpoint, like the team really resonates with it from a, this is going to enable you to work really well and to feel good about your work. And we're calling, you know, it's focus and it's, it's this thing, but you know, I send everybody, uh, when they start, when they join the team, I send everybody two books, uh, deep work by Cal Newport and getting things done by David Allen. And, you know, they're both kind of they're productivity tools, but if you read them and really understand them, they're all both focused on like clearing your mind and taking things, you know, even David Allen's book, like if you, you know, getting things done is, you know, your mind is not a good suppository for information. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a place for creative thought, right? And it masks itself as a, as a productivity book, but I look at it more as that, that's, that's an application to life, right? Like the things that clutter our minds physically are just as, you know, are, are as important as the things that clutter our mind kind of in, just in our minds. And so, you know, I think our, our team, I definitely think like we, there's a lot of, you know, I, 
there's a lot of like, oh, I don't want to talk about meditation or oh, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't meditate or, you know, or whatever. Uh, and it's become so trendy too, you know? So then there's like the whole aversion to it on, you know, oh, it's just trendy now. Um, but we try to do it from a business standpoint. And, and I think that's as much as I can do as like the boss and the leaders, like here's, here it is on a, how, how you can do it in your work. And then we can support people financially, which also I think sends a message that it's not just a gym reimbursement, right? It's a, it's a healthy habits reimbursement mm-hmm. to be able to pay for whatever you need to, to stay, stay whole, you know? And that's really, so there's a few things I could say to that. The, the most interesting thing that you mentioned, David Allen, and one of the best you said, the mind isn't a good suppository for information. And that's one of the coolest things about writing is this, is it's this technology that most people don't think of as a technology because it's so central to hum, human things, but you can, you don't even need a therapist. You can just write something down and wrestle with it and put it, you know, some people do need therapists, but, (laughs) but you can like, you can put it somewhere outside of your own mind, but if it's just in your own mind and you're not expressing it, and that can also be expressing it to another person as well. Sometimes I think about, actually, I was thinking about it right, right. Or as you're talking about it, the way that people used to pass on information and stories was through an oral tradition um, and so they probably had the same thing. They got together and they all expressed themselves and they got it out of their own heads and expressed it to the community around the fire or whatever. Um, yeah, that's really cool. No. And you know, it's, I started, uh, like a, a bullet journal, although I don't use it like a bullet journal, but I started journaling just my days and I don't journal like my thoughts necessarily, but I do write a lot. And whenever I have, uh, like, all my to-dos are in this notebook that Chris was like, you're not going to carry around a notebook. I'm like, I'm totally going to carry around a notebook and I'm totally carrying around a notebook and it's been really amazing. But I, I definitely, I'm the kind of person that needs, and maybe everybody's like this, but I def, I know that I'm the kind of person that needs to write it all out. And so even if I'm going to do like a, a, a project that doesn't require writing, let's say I'm going to talk to the team about something or, you know, we were changing our operating system around and it was just a lot of work. I like wrote, all kinds of stuff and stuff like never saw the light of day, but just mm-hmm. wrote and wrote and wrote and, ty- you know, sometimes typed and wrote. And it just definitely, to your point, it, it works things out, right? It like, it takes it out of your head. And I just, I know that my mind is not a good place to store things because it's just, it gets cloudy. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I always, I always took away from, again, David Allen, but I, I, I learned that I'm, I have the type of, of uh, personality that when I let things like if I can't let things fester, you know, like I, and so when there's an issue, I'll procrastinate on it and it tortures me. I could just, I just drown in it. And so I've learned, I've started to really discipline myself into like doing the hard things first. And, you know, I'll just a hard email, a hard conversation, a hard problem. And I have to get that out of my mind too. Cause even if I don't realize it, like weeks will go by and I'm like, why am I so unproductive? And it's like, cause I had this thing that's just been sitting there and I've just let it fester and I can't do that anymore. Mm. So I got to get it out. And so I think that really helps me. This is something I've been thinking about, which is a lot of people won't do these things uh, because they say that they're busy, uh, but it's not really about time. Cause a lot of those things don't take as much time as we think it is, but it's more just that kind of psychic force or intensity or difficulty. Um, how, what are your thoughts on, on these, on these really difficult conversations or really difficult emails or, or how do you, what do you think about them? How do you, how do you deal with them? Mm. Uh, I, I, 
I I deal with them only because I know they're going to hurt me. Like mm-hmm. the the keeping them there hurts me. And and to your point about time, it's not. I don't blame people for it. I think there's. It took me a long time to realize the power of my like how much more successful and actually how much less I could work Mm. if I just created space in my brain to just do meaningful work. Like Mm. we talk about this all the time on the team. I don't actually want you to work 32 hours. I think you could do everything you needed to do in 20 really good hours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if your mind is clear and you're focused and, but when you, when you experience that, you realize there's a lot of hard work to get there. It's not easy. And Mm. so there's a lot of work to get yourself there. And that's, you know, kind of going through those realizations and, you know, it's been a journey for me for a bunch of years of just self-discovery and growing up and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But uh, understanding that that's how I can actually be good at my job, you know, and a better parent and all these things is why I do those hard conversations. Because I'm like, if I don't do the hard conversation, all the other stuff around is going to come collapsing on me because it's going to live in my brain. It's going to like rot in there. It's going to weigh on me. And what am I going to do with it? Right. Like I have, I'm going to have to do it anyway, eventually. And it's hard. I mean, it's so hard and it's so much easier to procrastinate. And sometimes procrastination is good. And you're like, let, I, I'm a big procrastinator and I love it. Cause I think a lot of times things in my subconscious will do their thing yeah. and it'll pop up. And then by the time I sit down, I'm like, yeah, I got some good stuff done, you know? So I, I, I don't mind leaving stuff in my, in my mind, but I got to have space for that, that subconscious to work. And if it's filled with, you know, a difficult conversation that I keep pushing off or, or I'm a big feelings person. So like if I, if I feel some way to, to somebody and I'm not sharing that and it's bothering me, mm-hmm. then I don't, I won't have room for the other stuff. And my job, if we're honest, is to do the hard stuff, mm-hmm. right? The stuff that's like, you know, the, the, the bigger strategic stuff, the hard conversations, the thinking further ahead. And if I'm clouded with something like, that's not, you know, that that's not enabling me to do that, then I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, there was just a lot of that kind of rolling around, but those are hard. You know, I'm not, it sounds really great when I say it. And I don't want this to come out like I'm some kind of, you know, so well-adjusted, <laughs> perfectly clear-minded person. Like I promise I'm not, it's, you know, but it's what I strive to do. Like these are things that I think about a lot because I've found success in them and I've, and I've seen the value of it. And so I just, those are constant exercises and, and practice for me. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, that's really cool. So we've got about five minutes left. What is one book article idea, something that's come across the top of your mind in the last week or a month, uh, that's really influenced, uh, your ability to be a better human, to create more, to be less stressed. Hmm. Not tricky. Uh, to be a better human. Uh, I actually, you know, it's a business book. I'm sorry, but I, there's a a new book called trillion dollar coach that came Mm -hmm. out recently about, um, uh, coach Bill Campbell, who, uh, he was a CEO of Intel and then, but he was really coaching all the big Silicon Valley executives and his method of coaching. So the book's written by like Eric Schmidt and, you know, he was a big friend of, Steve Jobs and all these people that, you know, we all know, but when you read his philosophy on leadership, uh, you realize it's just a human, it's just care, love, and affection of other human beings. Mm. And I think that's so lost. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we've just, I, 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 I annoy the team like crazy. I'm like, you know, I have a good friend who runs a big company. And when he first kind of had managers and leaders, one of the things he did was 
he used to be so connected with his team. He wanted to make sure that when he passed that on to managers, that they would be connected. And he would have like uh, all hand, you know, meetings with the leads. And he would say like, what's Susie's husband doing this week? You know, like, oh, I don't know. Why didn't you ask her? You had a one-on-one with her. Why don't you know what he's doing? Right. Or, uh, you know, Joe's going, Joe's flying to, for work to San Francisco, fly Joe's wife surprise him, right? Like do that, do that kind of mm. stuff. And it was all about these meaningful connections and, and, and treating people like humans. And you read this, this book about this person who, you know, they're saying single-handedly made Google what it was and was a good friend of Steve Jobs and helped him. And they used to take walks every day and all these things. And when it comes down to it is he was just a great human being who mm. just cared and loved passionately and wanted people to succeed and saw the best in them, but he pushed them and he wanted them to, you know, because so much of that love, it's like, you know, our parents do this, but we don't do this at work. But like our parents push us to be better than we think we can be, right? They love us, but they they hopefully encourage us to like push us past our boundaries because that's where we're most proud of ourselves is when you look back and say, oh, wow, I don't think I could do that, right? And so you read this book about this person who, you know, you would think would be this like hard ass, you know, hung out with Steve Jobs all the time. And he's just this, at least the way I gather from the book is just this super like committed, loyal, loving, mm. uh, really understood people and just pushed them to be better than themselves and got them into great places and created this magical, you know, these, these companies that have become so massive that, that swear it's all because of him. And I just thought that was really great because so many business books are like these tactical things and, you know, leadership is about setting goals and all this stuff. And this is totally about the team and the person and understanding the person and coaching them and helping them be great. And I just loved everything about it. Mm. That brings to mind something really important that I've learned recently. I, I deal with some uh, chronic pain. And when I'm in these times of chronic pain, it, my thinking gets very self-referential. So I'm always thinking about myself because I'm in pain. Uh, but if I, but a, a coach I've been working with uh, gave me this really good tip, which is whenever you want to solve your own problem, focus, focus instead on solving someone else's problem. Um, and then, and then it switches the whole thing. So you get out because one of the most important things to break out of the cycle of loops of chronic pain is that, is that, uh, um, is to, is to help someone else, uh, focus on their problem. And that, that one thing has like totally shifted my ability to break out of these cycles and like it, it, and it's really helpful. And that's, it sounded like, like that's the essence of what Bill Campbell was doing. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. And to have a coach like that is so special. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm such a, like, I just really like people. And mm. I, I, I really, I think we create these invented things, economies, money, mm. business, mm. they're all invented. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we've allowed them to kind of run our lives to some degree. And, and, you know, we're worried about AI and robots and I'm sitting here looking like we've invented business and the goal of business is to get fatter and fatter and fatter and uh. bigger and bigger. Like that's literally how we've invented it. And we haven't created any kind of guardrails in, in the way we've looked at it that says like, well, hold on a second. What's it doing that for? Yep. And, you know, and that's kind of like, I just look at that and I'm like, well, well that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It's like now I'm a slave to this thing that I built that was supposed to be good for me. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. So good. That gets, I, I don't know if you've ever read Yuval Harari, uh, his book, but he talks a lot about how we are story making machines and we just, we make stories and we share stories and that's how we get everybody to. And so, yeah, as you, as you just said, it's, we, in, we've invented all this stuff. We've invented money. We've invented business. All of these are concepts uh, that 
have been imbued with reality by a collective group of people. Uh, and, and what you just said makes it really interesting because it gives us a little bit of agency. And I, I believe that it's one of the themes of the show is that a lot of people building technology thought that technology would be an unlimited good. Uh, and they just like, okay, we're just going to create this technology and we'll make money and we'll just keep on creating technology and everything's going to work out. Uh, and then they were finding out recently that, you know, that these things have unintended consequences. Uh, and I think the antidote to that is to have the technologists become much more thoughtful through things like philosophy, through things like spirituality, through, uh, intention. And, and I believe that that combination of almost ethics and the creation of technology is going to be the, uh, problem solver to some of the problems that we're facing as humanity. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't see a solution to all the problems we're facing that does not involve technology, but it's not going to be just technology. You can't just create technology and think, okay, this is going to solve all our problems. hundred uh, I mean, sapiens, I didn't, I didn't invent that. Sapiens is one of my favorite books, but mm. I, I think that's kind of the key. And, and, you know, I can't help but be frustrated that I'm in in an industry where like we're dumping all this money into Uber for cats. You know, like I don't, I don't, and I don't mean that everything we do has to solve world hunger, but you know, there is a level of kind of insanity <laughs> to some degree when you look at this stuff and you're like, come on guys, you know, but then we're also doing super meaningful things and, and there is going to come a boundary. And I think actually there's a lot of talk around teaching ethics and and why aren't we teaching ethics and you know and what are these what what are those boundaries but to me it's like bigger than technology i think there's mm -hmm. there's an ethical conversation around business and capitalism and mm -hmm. you know we can go down a rabbit hole for a long time around that but <laughs> you know the the i i happen to think business is great and it's job creation and we're able to do all these amazing things and and create opportunities. And I, I'd like to think my team is super happy and and has you know an opportunity here that they wouldn't have elsewhere but I'm not a giant 4,000 person company. Could you do that on a giant 4,000 person company where 4,000 people mm. can, can be supported in doing meaningful work mm. for the collective? You know, if the business exists for, for not just shareholders, but like all the stakeholders, then everybody wins and it's okay, right? And maybe it's not a $4 billion business, it's a $2 billion business, mm -hmm. but everybody wins. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, who's that 4 billion for anyway? Nobody even knows at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, there's an, you know, and like, we could talk about that forever. So we'll do a future podcast episode on that. Um, well, thank you so much for, the, for coming on the show. How can people find out more about you, find out more about Wildbit? Yeah, um, the kind of company stories on wildbit.com and there's some writing there that we've done over the years. I'm Natalie Nagel on Twitter. Uh, always interested. I don't talk a lot on there and I will be gone for five weeks. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm around and, and love to talk about this stuff. And, you know, if you're interested in kind of the 32 hour work week or any of that, we try to write a lot about it and share with the world. That's so cool. And yeah, this episode probably won't be out by the time uh, we're going to do it, but we're, oh, we're going to have a panel next, uh, next Thursday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yes.